Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Good morning. Every Day is Earth Day. Today's features a farmer from over by Mapleton. It's the Highland Family Farms. And with me this morning, I have Pat Duncanson. Good morning, Pat. Hi, good morning, Karen. Great to be here. Well, glad to have you on. I'm catching you between, I guess, the, the bad weather, So, because you, you're busy this time of year out in the fields, and you've got a, a farm out there by Mapleton that employs soil health practices that are is really good for the climate. So let's talk a little bit about your farm. Tell us a little bit about it and what sorts of things you do there. Sure, uh, happy to. So uh, my wife and I are continuing our family farm um, that we've been involved with uh, in in partnership with other family members and most recently as just uh, my wife and I and our children for over three decades. And uh, the family farm is a continuation of multiple generations here uh, in southern Minnesota. We primarily grow corn and soybeans and we have a a little bit of cereal rye that we're uh, we're using as another crop that we're trying to introduce in our rotation and we also raise livestock and currently we uh, we raise uh, we raise pigs so how big is the farm and and where are you located yeah so we have a few thousand acres Um, we're headquartered uh, just outside of mapleton but we're all in blue earth county as far as our crop production but we have some acreage uh, just west of Mankato all the way to the far southeastern corner. So we're pretty well spread out in Blue Earth County. What makes your farm different from a lot of other farms that we might hear about? Well, we're very much the same, and and yet we are using some practices that maybe aren't as widely adopted in our area. Uh, Many farmers uh, look at their land, and they really do try to do a good job of taking care of it. But the the perception of, of of what we understand about our fields and what we understand about our land. And in many ways, my wife is involved on some uh, on some projects on a national scale that has helped expose us to some practices that aren't widely adopted in Blue Earth County, such as cover crops and drastically reducing tillage. There are other farmers in Blue Earth County who are using some or, or multiple things with these projects as well and practices. So we're not the only ones doing it, but from an adoption standpoint, Blue Earth County doesn't have a lot of, of cover crops uh, in particular. And the, uh, the extra steps that we're taking to reduce tillage are, are not the common practice in our neighborhood. Now, my parents were early adopters of no-till back in the 70s, so we were kind of the odd folks out in Wisconsin as well. And just the more we learned about it, the more we realized it's a better practice for our land. Now, you mentioned your wife, Kristen, is involved on a national level. What sorts of things is she doing on a national level that you have been made more aware of the the practices that are good for your, your land? Sure. So she works in ag policy and one of the, not in politics, but in ag policy, and one of the big projects that she's working on is is trying to show how conservation actually is a more profitable way to farm and using uh, using data sources and uh, not necessarily always having to rely on on direct public subsidies and that the the profitability of conservation is actually a driver of farm profitability therefore it's a good practice to adopt so it prompted us to look at our farm records including including precision ag records 
and to identify areas of the farm that we felt were more profitable for ourselves. And those, those areas led us to believe that where we have higher organ- amounts of organic matter, for instance, in our soil, and we're, we're blessed in Blue Earth County to have very fertile and very rich soils, but even the slight differences we have across our landscape, those farms tend to be more profitable. So we asked ourselves, what sort of things can we do to help maintain or improve that organic matter and that led us on a on a journey that our uh, our whole family supports and we are able to uh, to do things like cover cropping and reducing tillage to uh, to try to increase organic matters even though our soils are in good shape uh, as a general rule we have uh, as i said earlier we're blessed with very fertile soils in the uh, in blue earth county for folks who've never maybe set foot on a farm and don't understand exactly what you're talking about, what sorts of things are you doing differently that maybe your average person is not exactly sure what you do in the first place and what have you done in addition to make things better? Sure. So for us, the big transition was to begin uh, to begin using cereal, cereal rye as a fall cover crop that we would seed after. Uh, for us, we like to seed it after corn or soybean harvest, so we're seeding that in October ideally, but we'll seed as late as the middle of November, so that in the spring, when spring finally hits, and this year it seemed to be very fleeting for us, eventually it it did hit, and as we speak, I'm looking out our window, Uh, here we are in the middle of May, in a field of of corn that we had just planted into a, uh, a field that had been seeded with cover crop cereal rye last October. That cereal rye is now approaching six inches tall. It's a beautiful ground cover that will help hold the soil in place and also the extra benefits of the cereal rye root system, which is very a very aggressive growing plant, so that we will terminate that rye in, in the coming days here so that the corn crop can grow not from the competition of the rye crop, but that bridge over the spring when we have thunderstorms and we have heavy rain and it also introduces another cropping system or another cropping type uh, into our corn and soybean rotation that helps with, with soil resiliency. And in order to make the leap into the cereal rye, it forced us to think harder about how much tillage we do. So the cereal rye cover cropping and the reducing tillage, or in some cases almost no-till from one crop to the next, Uh, instead of going out and chisel plowing or field cultivating, uh, which are very common practices in this area. We made that transition almost simultaneously together. Because in a normal year, you would see just the brown of the dirt, probably, and it would be blowing in the wind or in the snow a lot of times. You see the snow banks that are filled with the dirt and that kind of thing. But the rye, you said cereal rye you plant in the fall, essentially protects the soil from blowing away. And then now, what do you do? Do you plow it under do you what what happens to it now do you right right so so karen with the way that we do it we don't get a lot of growth in the fall we're happy to see it emerge and maybe get to be about an inch tall mm-hmm. or two inches is a is a home run for us so we don't get a lot of protection in the winter months from the cereal rye itself what we do get is by by reducing tillage we keep the residue from last year's crop on the field through the oh. winter okay and so we we try to keep as much of that protection from last year's crop on the field, getting us through the winter. But then in the spring, uh, rather than tilling up the field, the cereal rye begins to grow. And as I said, right now it's about six inches tall and we're just seeding or finishing up seeding the corn and the soybeans. And the cereal rye helps 
to protect the soil when the residue begins to, particularly after a soybean crop, the residue begins to decompose and, and disappear. And that disappears real fast if we add a tillage path in there. So between the cereal rye, um, adding some growth, and the reduced tillage, because we're going to more of a, of a no-till or maybe a single path a tillage system, those two factors are what really help protect the soil. Have you actually done any soil tests that show the amount of organic matter that has been retained because of these practices that you've been incorporating? Yeah, so we're just beginning to do that, Karen, and, and trying to document that. So uh, the, shorter an- the shorter answer is no. I do not expect to see that we're going to move the needle on organic matter with just a couple years of farming practices. Okay. Um, much the same as farmers who farm their land using more widely adopted practices of chisel plowing, field cultivating, none of which are bad tools, but the, the soils in our area don't degrade rapidly by doing that because they are fertile and we, we have a large cushion. So I don't expect ours to make a huge change quickly. However, I will say by, by tracking our yields, we are pleasantly surprised that the areas where we are doing cover cropping compared to other areas of the farm where we are farming you know, more uh, traditionally for the area, um, we are seeing good yields in both areas, but we are never disappointed with the areas that we have cover crops as far as I, I do not think the cover, cover crops are a negative at all, and long-term, we are convinced that they are a positive. What do you think the resistance has been for people using cover crops? Because it seems to be a kind of a no-brainer, but I'm sure, is that extra cost, or what are the reasons? Sure. Well, Karen, it, 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 is a, it, it can be a no-brainer when you look um, holistically maybe at the entire system and you put value on, on certain things that, that maybe some farmers don't appreciate as much. No farmer wants to see his soil wash down the river and, and leave his landscape. He, he, he wants to keep that soil on the farm, but it's easy to overlook uh, maybe some minor erosion areas on the farm, whether it be wind erosion or, or even just minor erosion on relatively flat soils, and because it, it isn't a very visible problem. We are uh, maybe more concerned or more aware of the small soil losses that we have and trying to do things to stop those in addition to trying to, you know, build and maintain organic matter with reduced tillage and with the, uh, with the cover crop practices. So what are some other things that you've been, been doing that have been successful in terms of being more environmentally friendly? Well, so we have a, I'm going to say we have a, I'm going to say a strong recycling ethic. Some would call it frugality. Some would call it stinginess. Okay. So we, we like to we like to use things to their fullest potential. So uh, that includes, you know, recycling, you know, consumable products like cardboard and plastics and and steel and that sort of thing that a lot of farmers probably do themselves anyway in various forms. But we've we've done a you know uh, our part in in that as well, and we try to do a good job with our pesticide containers. Our full circle approach when it comes to farming. I mentioned we raise livestock. A lot of our fertility comes from our livestock barns. Oh. And that is a, a very common practice in this area. The hogs that we raise not only are wonderfully uh, uh, good things for us to eat, but they also provide manure that is a great crop fertilizer, and they help us 
uh, not only reduce reduce our dependence on on the purchased fertilizer, which helps from our, our profitability standpoint, but they are also very good as far as providing a um, a healthier soil uh, because they're they're a much more broad spectrum fertilizer source than if we were to go to the local retailer or the cooperative or whatever and buy a specific nutrient of nitrogen or potassium or phosphorus or sulfur. So we get a, a, a much more balanced approach that's in a, a different format than the chemical. Not that too much of too much of either is good, but it helps us provide some diversity in our crop nutrition system and, and the fertilizers that we use. So we think of when the hog manure leaves the barn, we think of it as a crop nutrient. We don't think of it as a waste product. So it becomes very valuable to us. How do you prevent yeah. runoff? I mean, that's always a, a fear when you hear something about a hog operation or any kind of big operation Correct. is the runoff and it's going to pollute lakes and rivers, et cetera. So how do you so Karen, deal with that? Yeah, I would love to think that we can prevent the runoff, but I'm going to say we, we try to do everything we can to manage the runoff. And so I think the expectation needs to be there. But similar to if we were spreading fertilizer on the ground that was commercial fertilizer, the farmer doesn't want to see it leave the landscape. So he's probably going to do something with tillage to put it in the ground. With the hog manure, in general, when it's applied, it's immediately put in the soil with a mechanical tillage or, or something uh, injection system. We have tried to find systems, and we've been successful in, in having the, uh, the people that apply for us use a less disturbance in that tillage pass and they're putting it in the ground, trying to maintain as much residue. And we're experimenting now with using cover crops immediately after we apply the manure to try to help rebuild that residue uh, and, and have that cover, uh, rebuild that soil protection. Uh, so as we go into the spring, we've got uh, protection on the ground that uh, further helps, helps with that soil health practice. I think I read that part of Highland Family Farms sustainability program includes participating in the Minnesota Agriculture Water Quality Certification Program. What does that involve? Yeah, so that's a, a program that the state of Minnesota has that um, is a, uh, a checklist or a, a benchmark of sorts uh, to help farmers become more educated for water quality practices. And if the, I'm, I'm going to uh, suggest that the intent of the program is that by discussing the different things that a farmer can do to become water quality certified, hopefully it'll encourage farmers to be more apt to think about water quality and their impact on um, particular surface and, and groundwaters in the area so that maybe we will adjust our farming practices a little bit. Uh, that has become a fairly successful program after being around for several years in that many farmers in the area have signed up for it and have uh, committed to do what they need to do to be uh, recognized as a as a water quality cooperating farmer. And you have to get that certification every 10 years or so, I, I think I read? Yeah, actually, we at Highland, we just received it a, a year or two ago. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm not, actually, I'm not actually too worried about uh, what my recertification is because we just got done with <laughs> okay. the first round. But, okay. Um, for, for our sake, it really didn't impact a lot of change uh, in our operation. Uh, and I think many farmers would probably uh, be able to qualify as well. There was only maybe a couple of changes that we needed to be very mindful of that a practice that we recognize as being a good practice that we may be employed on some acres. Uh, in order to be qualified, we had to apply that practice on more acres. And what would that be, so, for example? Um, well, the, the practices are you know, making sure we follow sound 
fertilizer and manure application rates. Those practices we, we apply on all acres anyway. And then recognizing, again, no, no farmer is perfect and, and neither are we, but recognizing that, well, maybe there's an, an area of erosion concern on the farm that we're busy, we just didn't have time to get to it, and we need to make sure we address all of those areas. Uh, and so having another set of eyes look at the ground, look at the landscapes that we farmed helped us recognize some spots that we needed to do some some repair work and some conservation practices that we'd uh, maybe been kicking the can down the road and focusing on other areas that were a higher priority for us. There was another uh, instance of uh, using a modified tile intake uh, on one particular farm that uh, instead of using the standard open intake, uh, a lot of them people might recognize as an orange uh, pipe sticking up out of the mm-hmm. ground. Sure. Um, they didn't do a whole lot of filtering, and there's a, a type of tile intake that actually is a bit more, a, a lot more of a filtering type oh. intake that still allows water to slowly go into the tile intake, but it would hopefully hold some of the crop residue and some of the, some of the soil back, some of the siltation that would maybe be carried with the water from getting into the tile system and therefore into the water and into the lakes and and streams and rivers. Another couple words I've seen associated with your farm in an article was precision agriculture, another approach that promotes sustainability. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, so um, I'm going to say we use precision as a tool to help us uh, recognize and measure many of the things that we do in our farm, uh, whether they're the, uh, the, the sustainability thing, the sustainability practices that many people think of, um, or if they if they help us in in management, we uh, precision ag is a tool that helps us measure the uh, the variability of crops that goes across the field. The corn that I was planting earlier this week, we vary the rate of seeding using precision agriculture tools going across the field, uh, so that areas that have a potential higher productivity. Uh, would benefit from a different seeding rate. In this particular case, it was corn. So we would tend to increase seeding rates in very fertile, very productive areas. And in other areas, we would we would cut the seeding rates back, whether it be near a shelter belt, oftentimes areas adjacent to trees, or in other areas of the farm where the soil is maybe not as, as robust. They don't benefit from the higher seeding rates. Those are some things that we use precision agriculture for. You mentioned when we first started talking about this that that other people in Blue Earth County do also some of the things that you're doing, but not a lot of them. What is it going to take for more people to get involved in this so it seems like it's a good idea? And is it finances? Is it education? Or what's the piece that maybe is holding people back? Sure. Well, change is hard. And yeah. uh, especially change is hard when many of us already believe that we're doing a good job of doing something. Why do I need to change? And most, as I said, most farmers take to their heart that they really do think they are trying to take care of their farm and their soil. They don't believe that, that there's, that what they're doing is, is detrimental and that they're already, they're already doing their part. So education is a, is a big part of seeing more adoption of uh, soil health practices and cover crops. We became aware of different areas, not necessarily studies that were done in this area, but other soil studies that show after farming practices like the ones that we're using in our area, um, that soil does degrade. When uh, we're just fortunate that it doesn't, it doesn't do it before our eyes, that it takes decades of farming practices. But when we start to think about South Central Minnesota, a 
a lot of this ground has been cultivated for a hundred years or more, and uh, certainly since since European settlement in the uh, in the late eighteen sixties and seventies, some of the patches have been cultivated a, a very very long time, and and small changes every year do have a do have an impact on the soil. So, education is a key key part of it. Also, the cost of cover crops initially is a is a daunting cost until you can become comfortable as a producer that it it is a more profitable or certainly an, an equally profitable way to farm. And you don't want to spend money on an input that you don't get a return from. So it's important for, I'm going to say farmers, and it's also important for the, for the rest of us to be patient as we make this adoption and we make this transition. Oftentimes, cover crops are not a, a new factor, and many farmers in this area used cover crops in a different way when we had the old uh, set-aside programs back mm-hmm. in, uh, in the early career of my wife and I, where we were paid through supply control to not plant some acres. And we were required to put a cover crop of some kind, uh, but it was a different timing of the year and a different mentality of why we were asked to do that. So the practice of cover crops, uh, not only in this area, but in many other areas, they've been used uh, quite extensively. Many farmers have been using them for decades or longer. Part of the idea of it won't work in my backyard, I don't know how many times I've said that or I've heard it, and we began our journey with with the cereal rye five or six uh, years ago, maybe it's even been longer ago, seven or eight than that, and we had to convince ourselves that it would work for us. And that's a, that's a huge obstacle that um, when you, you aren't familiar with a practice in your area, you think of reasons why it won't work on your area rather than mm-hmm. uh, maybe coming up with all the, all the good things that it will do and, and the reasons that it will work in your area. You're probably thinking and all I'm, the neighbors are thinking you're nuts, too. What, what, is, what is Pat doing out there? <laughs> we're we're kind of used to that. Yeah, and okay. our neighbors are our, our neighbors are kind of used to that too. <laughs> well, yeah. and I think that's good. I think you're right because I, I remember, like I said, my parents were early adopters, and I think a lot of times they thought that we were nuts because we were trying these different things. But as you said, sometimes it takes somebody to do it and get the word out that it sounds like it has been a positive effect for you. Yeah, yeah, it has. One other uh, thing, Karen, if I could mention, you you asked about uh, precision agriculture mm-hmm. and. The, the advantage is that we are farming with some of, the, some of the best tools, some of the most advanced technology in our equipment. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking of our planter, and I, I mentioned the variable rate seeding that it will do, that we can, we can download a file um, through the cloud that our crop consultant helps us put together, and we vary the seeding rate. But just going across the field, many farmers, as well as our planter, has individual sensors on the rows that adjust the down pressure. And one of the things that tillage does is it makes the seed zone very uniform so that a planter doesn't have to be very smart to put the seed in the ground at approximately uh, an inch and a half or two inches deep, whatever the farmer wants to set it at. And he can probably get the seed in the ground at the right depth and get it covered and get a crop to grow. And tillage helps to make that soil surface a lot more uniform, and that's what we've done for many decades. Mm -hmm. However, recent advances in particular planter technology 
has made it much easier to reduce the tillage and to become uh, more no-till farmers or certainly very minimum till farmers, where we've got attachments on the planter that can move a little bit of residue out of the way if the residue is too thick uh, or uneven. The sensors on the rows know just how hard to push the row unit in the ground so that it, it maintains ground contact and it goes in the ground the right depth. All of those things make it much easier to reduce the tillage and to make the planter do more work, and yet we still get good crops. That technology and those advances weren't available one or two decades ago. So it's much easier for me to be a no-till farmer today than it would have been if I would have started a couple of decades ago or so when, when your family did. Oh, absolutely. I think things have changed so much. And like you said, the technology is a big part of it. And it's a matter of adopting that. Maybe not everybody can afford that yet either. So perhaps that's something that more people will adopt as as it becomes cheaper, perhaps? Sure. Well, and and as it becomes the the common platform and the the common practice, correct. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you. Anything else, Pat, you'd like to add? We've been talking with Pat Duncanson a farmer over near Mapleton from Highland Family Farms, talking about some of the sustainability efforts he and his family are doing on on their farm. Yeah, so I guess a couple other things, Karen. Um, just we have a we have an approach to sustainability that we call a triple bottom line approach, and we look at at three legs of of that approach. Are first of all, uh, things need to be economically sustainable for the farmer and for us. So if if, if something that we do isn't, isn't profitable or at least isn't uh, cost compensating, it, it isn't long-term viable for us to do. We can't subsidize things uh, from an economic standpoint. Another important part of that is, is the environmental piece, and that's what many people would recognize as sustainable. And we truly believe that, that we need to leave our landscape in better condition after we've farmed it than, than before. We like to think in some way we're going to improve our farm every year and, and make it more productive and make it more resilient and make it more uh, uh, of, a, uh, of a better cared-for resource. And so the conservation piece is certainly a very big part of it. The other part of it is the social piece, and we believe that being involved in the community and, and supporting community events and supporting the, the human capital part of our, of our operation of our communities is important as well. So that's one piece that I would like to mention. Along with that, and kind of as part of that triple bottom line approach, our family's involved in a couple of solar projects. Hmm. Uh, we have some traditional solar panels that are located, uh, one of them on the roof of a, of a machine shed in our yard that helps, helps generate power um, that we use in our farm yard, or if there's surplus power, it goes back into the lines um, when, when we don't consume it. Uh, it goes back into the power lines, and we get credit for that. And on the days when we need more power, we we uh, we pay pay for power just like everybody else does from the utility. Okay. Um, it's a really great system that Minnesota has set up the net metering effect of solar power. Uh, in addition to the machine shed, we have um, some solar panels on the ground next to one of our hog barns that has made that hog site uh, net self supplying of electricity wow. so at the at the end of the year um it doesn't act, it it produces as much electricity as it uses from those solar panels now there's certainly many times that we generate extra power and it goes back to the utility 
And there's other times, particularly every night, when there's when there's no sunshine, um, and we're buying power, or in the winter when we might need some more, you know, extra power for the cold weather. Um, so that's a couple of the solar things that we're involved with, as as well as um, our family became a uh, a landlord for a solar garden. Oh, uh, which at the edge of uh, north edge of Mapleton is a uh, 25 acre parcel generating electricity that uh, the folks in Mapleton can use as well as other subscribers to the solar garden system. And it helps reduce electrical costs um, for those that are subscribers, as well as encouraging the, uh, the solar industry to get off the ground and, and helping to provide some diversity in our, uh, in our power supply. Well, it sounds like you've got some great things going. It's been a delight to talk with you, you and your wife, Kristen, of Highland Family Farms. Thank you so much for the time, and I wish you a, a great rest of your planting season. Okay, thanks, Karen. You take care. Bye-bye. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union. With two locations in Mankato since 1934, it pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.